nervous? <laughs> no. Where's your answer? Dennis Beckham, let the ball out! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Oh! oh, no! Oh, yes! He missed it! Welcome to the Suffering from Joy podcast. My name's Devin. We're doing a freeform episode today because we haven't recorded in a while because we're sort of, you know, not trying just like Austin FC or anybody else at the moment, so... We'll see, but uh, I'm joined here today by uh, our good friend, Seth, who knows everything. Seth, how are you feeling? I don't know if I know anything about this team anymore. I definitely don't, which actually makes you feel a little zen, so that's kind of nice. Uh, Brad Tillery. Brad, how about you? I'm okay, actually. It's all good. It's all good? Okay. Uh, I mean, he uh, goes in the conference finals, man. We're, 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 we're great. And the uh, the 90s sitcom master, Charles Peacock of the False Nine, Texas. Charles, how are you feeling? <laughs> Great. We just lost Charles with literally like a beep beep from an 80s sitcom. So um, we'll... I mean, that's pretty much Knight Rider is what just happened, right? I mean, that's fantastic. That's sort of how this um, post-League <laughs> Cup season has gone. So I'm all for this. Um, Charles just turned into Kit. <laughs> uh was kit the one voiced by mr feeney i think so okay uh knight rider right oh yeah it's not right i was saying it's Knight Rider. yeah yeah okay i was just making sure charles do you have do we have you back yes i returned okay you didn't turn into kit slash mr feeney as a car <sighs> unfortunately because that sounds okay rad. no we were we were worried about you um how you feeling uh, I'm I'm feeling good. I'm glad that we don't have to watch this team for two more weeks. Um, but instead, we get to focus all of our anger and hatred toward Josh's mentor. Yeah, um, and maybe that's by design. So I kind of want to just like touch base on, you know, it seems Wolf is staying. We'll get into the press conference and all kind of the nitty gritty later. But um, initial reactions, Brad, you want to go first about. You know, hey, we found out on Sunday at 5.17 p.m. that Josh is going to be here. Yeah, I'm not happy. I mean, just honestly, I'm not happy. Um, there's there's too many data points to point that, that point me in the direction of Josh Wolf should not be the head coach of this football, of this club anymore. Um, I, I know what Roto said today, and we're going to get into all that uh, during the press conference. But we're talking about 100-plus games at the helm. And I could even give you a pass for 2021, building a roster uh, on an inaugural season and a COVID year, not a problem. Great last year. Uh, I think some underlying metrics say we overperformed. Uh, and it's – everybody just points to, well, we got to the conference final. We got to the conference final without critically thinking, like, hey, we needed a 96-minute handball on a complete fluke just to get to extra time while up a man for most of the second half of the first playoff game still couldn't put one in extra time and had to win in PK. Like, we were that close to going home. And then you take into account this season, I, I understand the injuries. I understand the what we've had to deal with all year. But it hasn't been good enough. And the early cup exits, the loss to Violette is inexcusable, just flat inexcusable. Um, a dream draw for a U.S. Open Cup that would have gotten us to the semifinals without ever having to leave Q2 Stadium. The finals. 
oh, sorry, Seth, the, the finals without ever having to go to leave Q2 Stadium. And we couldn't beat a pretty mediocre Chicago team and came out lackluster in that match. Uh, you draw the best possible League's Cup draw you can get. And I wasn't even, I'm someone who did not care about League's Cup. Still don't. But, you know, you need to at least get out of there when you're home for both matches against two of the not-so-great clubs in Mexico. Um, and you, you get beaten both matches. And then you fall short of the playoffs. Like, results have to matter at some point. And when you look at the last 40 games of MLS competition, let's take out all the other cup competitions. Just MLS regular season. This team is averaging a shade over one point a game, 43 points in the last 40 games. That's more than a season's worth of data right there. Before you get into the extra cup games and everything that tell me, I don't care how bad this quote-unquote build has been. This team was good enough this year to be in the playoffs. I think we can look at man management, especially going back to the loan of Radovanovic, that probably cost us four to six points in this in the year, earlier in the season, where he sat on the bench inexplicably for six to seven weeks while he was here on a 12-week loan. Um, and we saw how much he helped us when he actually got on the field defensively. Uh, I think you can see the growth of using Valencia in the defensive line midfield position that a guy has played since he was a kid. And you finally put him in that position late in the season. And, oh, my goodness, he blossoms. Um, there's little things like that I can just continuously point to and go, managerial decisions, in my opinion, cost us a shot at the playoffs. And can that, combined with all of the other early cup exits, he's got to go. I don't care yeah. about anything at this point. Results I mean, have, have consequences. If, if anybody's thinking we're doing a little revisionist history on last year, go back and listen to the episode we did after the first game of the season. We said the exact same thing about post-LAFC, uh, about the playoff run, like, hey, we're kind of in trouble. We're a little worried about this. So this isn't like some ex post facto Brad stuff here. Um, we were all talking about it. Um, Seth, any thoughts? Yeah, no. If you get to a point here, I mean, I, I agree. I, I was the most wolf in of anyone on this podcast. I did a whole episode of defending Josh Wolf when we were in fifth place at the uh, League's Cup break. And this team has gotten, what, five points since the League's Cup break? Like, how is that acceptable in any reasonable universe of this stuff? It's simply not. And it doesn't get the job done. If you're going to last three years in this business as a professional first division soccer coach and you're not going to get results, you have to at least show player development and you have to show an ability that you have some charisma that the fans love you, the city loves you. You get to a point where something bigger has to be part of this. As as listeners will know, I'm a member at SC Freiburg, which is a club in the Bundesliga where I studied abroad in college. Christian Schleich has been the manager there for 12 years. Very similar trajectory to Josh Wolf in a way. First year, not so great enough to survive relegation. I mean, obviously they have relegation over there. But second year was pretty strong. Took a team on the 17th budget out of 18 teams, up to fifth in the Bundesliga. Outstanding results. Third season, not so great. Finished 14th out of 18th. The fourth season was pretty ugly. Actually got relegated. Um, ended up winning promotion in the set. 
back and he's coached and now been in the Europa League two straight years. Things are fine. Uh, 12 years there. But Christian Schreich has a charisma that he takes accountability in multiple languages, by the way, for when the team doesn't perform. He shows emotion. He motivates his players. He gets to a world where people believe in him. He also makes comments on larger politics, societal things, and understands what his place is being a football manager. Josh Wolf has been someone who has, was a pretty successful MLS player, a pretty good U.S. men's national team player, not a great Bundesliga player when he went to 1860 Munich. But that doesn't – I'm not going to hold that against him. But he gets it to a point here where if you're going to be held on after three years, you need to be in the 1% of the most successful managers and show that you're going to have that ability. I don't think Josh Wolf is even in the bottom, say, third. I don't think he's a bad person. I just don't think he's the right fit for this job. And, yeah, we might be able to sneak into the playoffs next year with a marginally better roster and things like that. But, like, I'm not inspired. Yeah, you made a, a little bit of a reference to the 1% there. Um, I think you're talking about our good friend uh, Adrian Healy's tweet storm, I guess we'll call it. Do you want to kind of give us the rundown there real quick? I mean, Adrian, and I will say Adrian is a personal friend, so I will disclose that. Adrian sent out two tweets. I wouldn't call that a tweet storm. I feel like you need at least four or five X's or tweets or whatever the heck Elon wants to call them today and sue me for later because I'm not paying for I'm going to call him a tweet. I'm going to call him a tweet. <laughs> um, but it, Adrian gets to the point of 99% of managers with these results would be sacked. And Adrian is fundamentally right on that. And Adrian is someone who has been, if you've listened to enough, and part of being based in Chicago is that I get to watch the matches on TV um, live. And Adrian, well, he is a neutral commentator. Part of being a neutral, and one of the things that when he was an Austin FC commentator for the first two years and a club employee, he oftentimes felt like he couldn't say his true opinion on things. And he didn't go fully wolf out on any broadcast, but he would oftentimes bring up more stats and more data to prove that Josh simply isn't getting the job done. And you know what? Like, it is nice that Josh was in his office at 9 a.m. after a loss, whatever. You know what? We're going to get into that because that comment pissed me off so much. Let me go here, Devin, for a minute. I will tell you, my, the, mo- the least successful job I had in my life, I, w- I started my career off out of college as a fifth grade teacher. I, I enjoy interacting with students. I enjoy that. But, like, I was not a great teacher. I will be the very first person to admit I was not a good public school teacher. That's okay. It's a really hard job. And teachers should be paid and compensated more because it's really freaking hard to do. And you know what? I would be in in my office at 6.15 in the morning getting lessons ready. That didn't make me any better at my job. Like, just because you put a lot of time into it means that you could still suck at your job. Like, you can put all the time, effort, energy in the world into something and still not be good at your job. And that's where I fundamentally land at with Josh Wolf right now. Maybe Roto can pull some miracles, get him amazing players, and find enough scouts and bring in scouts from the greatest clubs in England and Spain and Germany and whatever else, and we can get an amazing roster. But, like, I'm not feeling too optimistic this evening. All right, we're going we're gonna to turn it over here to Charles in a second to get his kind of initial thoughts and feelings. But I also want to ask Charles, you're our resident Man United fan. Um, I have it on good authority that prior to having this job, Josh Wolf had managed Scotland at the World Cup, had won a European Cup, and had broken the Celtic Rangers deadlock by winning the uh, Scottish League with Aberdeen. So he's essentially the exact same person as Alex Ferguson. Is that correct? 
that's one hundred percent correct. Okay, thank you. This just there's no delineation at all. There's no you know differences in how teams were formed or how much Sir Alex Ferguson was allowed to spend on players. Nothing like that. They don't play in a, you know a stadium that's four times the size of Q two even thirty years ago. So. <laughs> And, and they, had, they had $18 jellyfish at Old Trafford, right? Adjusted for inflation, of course. Yeah, but it was actual jellyfish because it's on the it's on the ocean. So they just like it was kind of like a red wings thing. Like, it's like you like yeet, like the uh, yeah. octopi at uh, Red Wings games. Yeah, exactly. Like okay. they, that's 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 where the word yeet comes from, actually. Um, <laughs> you, you get your, your eel your so, eel pies in there as well, so that they can throw those on the pitch too. Yeah, hundred percent. That's why the that's why the pies are shaped that way is because they're more aerodynamic. I don't know. I don't know why else they'd be shaped that way. So I can't believe I'm going to be the one who does this, but I think we might be too hard on Josh Wolf. I I, I the first season he had a USL quality roster. He didn't get a training camp. He didn't get a preseason because of COVID. The second season. He has a full training camp. There's no front office problems until the whole Cecilio incident happens. But by then, what, what Roto in the press conference kept talking about was momentum. But I think what he actually meant in the U.S. vernacular is belief. A team having belief in itself. The 2022 team had that. They always felt like they could score. They could, you know, play with anybody. And this season, a season that got off to a bad start because of U.S. men's national team bullshit drama is... Which Josh is a part of. Which which Josh is tangentially a part of in this case. Um, made, made it to where the vibes for the season were always bad. And there was never any turnaround for that. And there was really no chance. I also want to say that I, I feel better that Burrell is there and talked about teaching Josh and trying to get Josh some more experience because his role model is a shitty coach who shouldn't have the job that he has, who never should have been hired for it, wasn't a good MLS coach because, mind you, the 2022 Austin team both scored more goals, had a better goal differential, and had more regular season points than any Burhalter team ever did. And I think that with better role models... Josh potentially could become better coach. I don't know if he will or not, but I at least feel as though there's a chance now. And there was no chance of that before when our front office could best be described as a dumpster fire of people who were at jobs they shouldn't have been at and didn't want. All right. Well, I mean, you're, kind of, you're kind of stealing a base here, though. Like, you know, we're not going to get into the whole Burhalter thing, but essentially, like, for those of you who don't know the background, like his brother was in charge of the coaching search the first time um, and, you know, held the job open for him for 15 months, um, hired Greg. And so a lot of people are, you know, crying nepotism, which I think is fair. But isn't Josh being hired as the first employee of the club because he's buddy buddy with uh, T.O. Tony? Kind of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I think a better run club hires a sporting director before hiring a coach. But I also think that hiring somebody like Claudio wasn't somebody who was going to help Josh in any way, shape, or form. And I think Burrell can. 
But we we get to a point here, and, and I think it's a fundamental question that if you're reading between the lines, there was a there's a direct quote in today's press conference. It is like, well, ultimately, and, and if I'm slightly botching the quote because I'm not reading it in front of me, but uh, Roto's like, well, ultimately, the decision to hire or fire a manager rests with me, but I I need to ask the owners first. Is like it's a question of who is actually the boss of Josh Wolf. Is it Anthony Precourt or is it Roto? And I left that press conference remarkably unclear on that answer. I and had like, the same thought. I was just like, it is crazy to me that like a guy would come from being one of Pep Guardiola's assistants and not have the ability to fire a manager without the owner's approval. Like what on earth? I mean, you know, there are instances, especially if you, like you look at uh, Chelsea where – it's going to cost you 20 million bucks to fire the manager like that. I sort of get where you have to go, Hey uh, boss, can you sign off on the accounting side of this, but not the actual, like, should this guy go decision? Um, that's fucking ludicrous. Like why have a sporting director at that point? I mean, you know, like, I'm convinced that Claudio Reyna, like obviously Claudio Reyna has plenty of faults, but like, I think if Claudio Reyna had the ability that he had at NYCFC with Austin FC, Josh Wolf doesn't even make it to season two. I mean, Claudio Reyna famously fired Jason Christ, who is someone also made the comparison on Twitter that like, look at Jason Christ. He had these results in his first three years. And I'm like, yeah, he won MLS cup on 1.33 points per game. And with this expanded playoff format, someone could do that. But like, that doesn't mean it's good. I mean, Jason Christ got oh, fired. Jason, was, it like, Jason Christ got fired. I mean, the U.S. under twenty-one manager for not performing well enough. Like, <laughs> Jason Christ got fired for being the assistant coach of Inter Miami earlier this year. Well, I mean, anybody who hangs out with Phil Neville, eh, you get what's coming to you. <laughs> also fair, but, but also I, I think that's a I think that's a fair point to make about the front office in the sense that like we are unsure what that. Um, office hierarchy is because I I kind of got the impression from from the quote that Burrell would have the ability to hire and fire a manager. I'm not sure he specifically has that ability with Josh because of Josh's tenure and Josh's relationship. Does that make sense? Like parsing yeah, that no, a little it, bit? It, it makes complete sense. But it also reminds me, in 2019, the day I put down my season ticket deposit for Austin FC, one of my good friends who was a Columbus Crew fan, um, and like is an actual Columbus Crew fan, said he's like, you know what? Like Anthony Precourt is going to fuck you over in ways that you couldn't even see coming, and he doesn't even know how he's fucking you over. And you know what? I feel like those words resonate as true today. And that's a real – I hate for him to be right, but that is he is right today. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like the mustard stands are still packed, but, you know, this is a little bit bigger of a problem. Um, hey, the hot water wasn't, <laughs> or there was no soap in the bathroom a couple of weeks ago. Like, I had to actually tell, I saw Andy Luffman on the concourse and to tell him, like, yo, go fill the soap in the bathroom. So, <laughs> you know, we're getting can he also can, can you also ask him for the sinks to not be scalding hot? <laughs> no, 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 that's a Texas thing. Um, I've actually asked them about that, and they're like, yeah, we can't, like, cool the pipes. I'm like, really? Uh, <laughs> uh, Brad, I want to ask you a question here because I feel like you've been a little on the outside for the past couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. So the Wolfen apologist crowd, I'm not talking about the people who are like, eh, maybe Josh deserves another chance. The people who are like going to the full mat for Josh Wolf would tell you that Claudia Reyna is 
at fault for every single aspect of this roster build. Um, do you know, or how do you see like Josh's role in kind of constructing who we have on the roster? So I don't know what his role is, right? But I, when the Claudio stuff hit at the beginning of the year, did it probably hurt our recruitment in the offseason? I'm sure. I'm sure it did a little. There was probably a target or two that we didn't get. But during the year and during the transfer window that just passed in the summer, um, and I think even before then, I don't think it's hard to fathom that Josh probably had a pretty big say in who was coming in and who was going out on this roster. So, and who was getting contract extensions to that point as well. And that's where you bring up Diego, right? Um, so from my perspective, he, he doesn't get shielded from all of that blame. Did Claudio screw up some of this? And did our scouting department screw some of this up? Yeah. There, there's, you, you absolutely can lay that fault on the feet of them to a degree. Some of it's going to fall on Josh. But at the other, the other point still goes back to, okay, that doesn't excuse finishing potentially like what, 12th, 13th in the conference. It doesn't excuse some of the cut losses that we've had. This roster is good enough to have at least finished sixth or seventh in in the West. The West isn't that great this year, but let's be real. Um, we're a couple of results away that we should have not games that just take would take games that we shouldn't have lost. You know, last minute goals given up. The two against Dallas was because of red cards that you get nothing out of. Um, the Seattle game, the, the Galaxy game at home a few weeks ago at 1.30 in the morning. Um, there's so many of those kinds of instances I think we can look at and go drop points, drop points, drop points that have nothing to do with what happened in the offseason, but rather a mentality and how we played in the man management that Josh used on the field. And I think you can judge him specifically on those performances to come to the conclusion of why so many of us are like, this guy needs to go. And for me, the only two things the the ardent Wolf supporters keep coming back to are he got us to the Western Conference Finals last year. Okay, we've, we've talked about that. We talked about how kind of fortunate we were, and we've been talking about that since the beginning of the year. And that the roster build, roster build, roster build, roster build. Well, he, he does have some kind of a hand in that. So your two biggest points are things that are easily, you can shoot holes into the arguments. Uh, now, if you want to say, and this kind of honestly pissed me off a little bit too today with Roto. He's like, look, I, I know I know what coaching is. I've been around, and I'm not going to argue. The man knows more soccer than I'll ever know. Um, but you got a fan base here that's not that damn dumb either. There's a lot of educated people in this fan base about the game. Roto was at one point seemingly trying to explain the differences in travel between here and Europe. Like, yeah, no shit, dude. North America is a big fucking place. <laughs> we yeah, know no, it's, it, it was really <laughs> weird to hear because he's like oh well if you if you have to go from portugal to russia that's you know like an average trip in the u.s it's like okay but other mls teams aren't going from portugal to yeah. russia i mean I, I, to slightly defend him we the first road trip he went on was away to vancouver on a wednesday we came back on a saturday we actually won that game at home against KC on a Saturday after that travel time. But, like, the MLSPA should make a case of, like, if you're going to have Wednesday-Saturday road games, maybe they shouldn't be more than 500 miles apart from one another. 
Like there's certain things that are like possible within the constraints of MLS, but the random schedule generator, I actually think it would be really fun to create schedules, but maybe that's just because I'm a nerd and think that that would be fun. <laughs> but like, but there's a, like at, at a point, like the way that we design things, like, yes, this is a big country. And obviously it's two countries in the league with Canada as well, but it is a, like, there are ways that this can be designed better and better to support player health and wellness. But you know what? Almost everyone has to go through BS. And like, we play in the middle of America. Like Vancouver is our furthest away day and it's a four hour flight. Okay. You deal with it. Like you go on and you know what? Like if we look at the West this year, I don't, Think anyone's yeah, St. Louis is at 56 points. No one's getting to 60 points. No one is getting close to two points per match. This is a league of parody. And like if you can get 1.5 points per match, 51 points, you're gonna be a top four team most years in this in the conference in the way that MLS is set up. That should be possible almost every season if you're doing your shit right. Well, are I we, think Burrell are, talked about that in his press conference, though. Like he mentioned about like how small the margins are. Um, in MLS just by the nature of it. And I thought he actually had like a lot of like good doses of reality for the fan base of like what our expectations should be. And and I, I disagree. I mean, I disagree with him on the travel thing. I thought that was ridiculous, especially for a team that's in the middle of the country. It's not like we're like inter Miami where everything is like a much longer flight. Well, it was um, fucking patronizing as shit too. Yeah, that was kind of my point is he, he was basically trying to, Europeanize, and I get that's what he knows, but he's kind of like Europeanizing to us what the fuck North America is about. Like, dude, I live here. You think I don't know what the travel is here? We joke, we crack jokes all the time on MLS Twitter about people in England driving three hours for a long away match, about how that's a fucking local derby here. Like, that, that you don't need to have that conversation with us. We know this. Yeah, I mean, the, the longest train ride that you're going to go to for an away day if you're, you're a team in London is the shortest distance to anywhere where I'm from. Yeah. So, yeah, it, like, it's a fucking meme. I'm with you. Um, Charles, we kind of cut you off. What were you going to say? Um, no, I was going to say that, like, I, I think the Martins are really close. I don't think this team was, was that far away from being a playoff team. Um, I mean, you look at like how many second half goals they gave up, especially, and it is frustrating to just have all those things go against you when the season before all those things went for you. I mean, there's a little regression to the mean, but like we gave up so many goals at the end of games. Um, Regression to the mean isn't giving up two, almost three goals to LA Galaxy at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, by the like, time that game got 3-3, I was in the stadium pretty convinced we were about to lose that match. Um, yeah, and I mean, um, I'm glad we have a, a four-month-old puppy who is even younger than. We would have stayed for the end of that game uh, if we didn't have to get home to her. And I might have put, like, a hole in some fucking concrete and or my knuckles if I had left that game and actually stayed for it. I usually walk out of there, even after losses, relatively calm. I can rationalize things. I was furious that night having given up the lead. I think that's the night to me that sealed that we weren't making the playoffs, right? It's like, okay, yep. we, we just lost all hope. Uh, you know what? I know there I'm were so chances, but that was the night. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I'm so glad I was fasting that night on Yom Kippur. And I was like, it's 1130. I'm going to sleep. I woke up the next morning and saw it was 3-3. I was like, oh, okay. That must not have been that bad. And then I went back and saw the timeline of the goals. I was like, oh, shit. What do I need to watch now? This is going to be depressing. Well, I mean, Seth, in your mind, what does Josh need to atone for in that game? Um, I mean, apparently, obviously, I'm going to go on the rumor mill here. But, like, the rumor mill was that Diego apparently gave a speech to the LA Galaxy team at halftime to be like, just wait. We're going to get our chances. They're going to implode on themselves. Just, like, sit back and keep playing our game. And you know what? I have no idea if that's true or not. But, like, I'm going to go with that that's true. And his atonement, it would be like that you didn't actually prepare and motivate your team and make the right subs and right adjustments in that game to be able to hold on to a two-goal lead after the 85th minute. And everybody else is tired. All you have to do is just not fuck it up. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. It's very frustrating. But you yeah, know what? Not- Honestly, it, it's better for my wallet and probably better for my sanity for us to lose this way than to, I don't know, go up to Frisco and lose 4-0 in a play-in game. Because I, I think I would take this narrative over that narrative. No, and I mean, we we set this a bunch too, right? Like whenever people are like, oh, well, you know, Wolf in because, you know, we can still get ninth or eighth. And I was just like, okay, like, let's say we get, you know, even seventh. We're not doing anything in the playoffs. No. We're going to go get smoked by someone. <laughs> um, so I don't know yeah, how that's... Back, do you want to play St. Louis City two or three more times? I mean, I do, but that's just because it gives me an excuse to go see my niece. So, yeah. Um, slightly different motivations there. Not from a, a footballing perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only people that would be excited for that would be St. Louis City fans, and they should be would be licking their chops for that. They should be, but they don't get to do that. Do you guys remember how arrogant our fans were going into that opening game? Like, oh, we hope you guys keep it close. And now I'm getting like pity texts almost every day. Like, yeah, you guys are having like a really rough off season. I hope you're going to do better. You know, I think you guys have it in you. You have a really good fan base. Like, do you have any idea what the fuck that's like in a six, eight-month turnaround? You know what? The the beauty of MLS is that there's a decent chance that they miss the playoffs next year because this league makes no sense at all. And it's utterly wonderful in Canada. Yeah, St. Louis is we were last year when you look at their XGs. But more so. Yeah. The, the, The regression to the mean for them next year could be a really hard one. I, I'm looking forward to MLS writers not learning their lesson from predicting Austin to finish in the top five of the conference this year when they all do it to St. Louis next year and St. Louis progresses to the mean in his bat. Yeah, I thought it would be fun to give uh, Andrew Weeby, uh, Captain Dipshit, a bunch of uh, shit about predicting us as high as he did, but um, I don't think that ever took off. <laughs> it's funnier uh, to just call him Dweeby because you can tell he searches by his name and still gets those. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I actually never paid attention to him until the uh, MLS All-Star game, which obviously I was watching because Arsenal was there. And I was just like, who the fuck? Oh, and I saw his name pop up and I was just like, okay. <laughs> I, I get why you guys hate this guy now. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Um, and and, and I mean, apparently he lives in New Jersey now, but he did live in your favorite state, Devin, before that. So that oh, was- I'm very aware of that part. <sighs> okay. So, I mean, we're kind of touching on this a little bit and we've been kind of bitching about this press conference i do want to kind of highlight there's something that came out and i mean um props to our good friends at moontown soccer 
Um, they did a great job kind of live tweeting some stuff out since this wasn't actually broadcast um, live. And something I think that got lost in translation is uh, people were asking like, oh, how many signings are we going to make? And, you know, the tweet's very dry and, you know, text and says, oh, two or three, basically. And, uh, you know, after listening to it back, I don't think that's what Roto said. I think he said, if we can make two, we can make two. We can make three, we can make three, which sort of opens up. If we can make zero, we can make zero. If we can make seven, we can make seven. So, um, Charles, how do you feel uh, about our offseason prospects on signing folks? Uh, I mean, some of it is that they're just going to have to do it because we have so many um, contracts expiring. And hopefully some of those folks come back, most noticeably, most, most notably Alex Rang. I think the bigger – one of the things that got mentioned is that apparently Austin FC was tapped out on TAM this season, which is kind of a wild thing to think about in terms of what limits our moves and our roster construction and gives a little more light into why the Diego trade needed to happen to clear room. But then that doesn't make sense why you bring in hedges to take up a lot of that space. I'm hoping that Roto can use his contacts to try to get some young guys, like maybe even like the way like Galaxy got um, Pooch in to be able to um, – <laughs> oh, I would take 11 Billy Sharps. That sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> but trying to get like some young guys who just like need field time and can't get field time, um, I think it's a great. I think it's a great use of Austin FC's resources. I mean, I know we, <laughs> I know Sergio Dest for some reason vacationed here, um, but somebody like that who's trying to find a European club and finding trying to find a space is a, would be a really good um, is really where Austin should look when they're trying to bring in European players, which. Considering how often he talked about Europe, which seemed like every five minutes, is clearly where he's looking. Well, I mean, you you talk about what you know, right? But, uh, I mean, if you're going to trade Diego and blow up the fucking roster, blow up the fucking roster, right? Right. And I think that's interesting because the league has had so much success of bringing South American players in that I'm not sure that trying to, like, raid Europe is going to be a winning strategy. Uh, I mean, St. Louis City's had good luck at it. You have a couple like Carol Swiderskis that are, you know, doing pretty decent. Uh, it may not be like England, but there are some some pockets that I think there's places you can go. But you know, Seth, do we even have like a vision on what we're doing based on this press conference? I think we sort of have a vision that like, okay, Roto knows the best academies in Europe. He knows guys that are he knows scout, and I assume that at least the scouts that are going to be scouting Europe are going to come from Europe. I have no idea if the scouts that are scouting South America will come from South America, but it sounds like those are going to need to be announced in two weeks. And I'm curious to see see who he hires. I expect they're going to be people with resumes that are pretty impressive. But like the question is, what is actually going to work in establishing a top MLS team? If we start looking at the top teams in the league right now, FC Cincinnati tried this Dutch approach for a couple of years and they ended up with a bunch of Dutch wooden spoons for that. They tried <laughs> an approach um, taking it from Philly and they are the supporter shield winners this year. You have Orlando, which has taken an interesting approach of they found a lot of college players through the MLS draft. They've found some Latin American players that have been pretty successful. They've taken that and they're the second ranked team in the East right now. Philly has taken a pretty MLS centric approach to this, even though they've used a German in Ernst Tanner um, as their sporting director since Ernie Stewart left. 
Um, you get to a point where in the West you have um, Luch Fannenstiel coming from the Bundesliga into St. Louis City taking their order. There are multiple, like, there is no, like, oh my God, we need to use an MLS approach to this. And I think Roto is learning from a bunch of teams. So I'm cautiously optimistic. And I, I think one of the things that's been really interesting in this press conference is that he mentioned that he's the oldest person around the club and he's only 52 years old. Where if you look at any first division team in Europe, there's no way that a 52-year-old would be the oldest person around the club. And I mean, actually, I don't even know how old Precourt is, but I think he's probably around there as well, or probably a little younger. I should have looked this up beforehand. But um, there's like the fact that like Roto feels like the senior gentleman at 52 around this club means that there's time for patience development. Next year will hopefully be better than this past year, but like... He's going to take two, three years to get things to where they're going to be and hopefully where they're going to be as a consistent top four, top five team in the West. Well, I mean, I feel like according to Wikipedia, which is always right, pre-court is 53. Okay, but still, like, I don't know, pre-court, he's probably got some plastic surgery. He looks younger than Roto. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to, like, jump in on the, like, fact-checked Seth who knows everything thing, but, like, every single one of our strikers is older than Roto. I want to jump in and kind of piggyback on what Seth said because you asked specifically, Devin, what do you see? Is that what is what is the vision for the club? And Roto, on a couple of occasions, was pretty specifically talking about Philadelphia. If you were listening closely, he said there's a team in this league that's about ten plus years old are 10 years old, and if you look at what we've done, we're, we really like what they do, and they have sustainable model of success. He refused to – he did not name the team, but then later he goes, you know, that same team has a, a coach that struggled at the beginning, and now he's considered one of the best coaches in MLS. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that he's talking about the Philadelphia Union and Jim Kurt. Um, so if that's the case, if that is who – Roto believes that we need to model this club after. That's fine. Long term, it's probably a really good decision. Short term, fan base needs to buckle up because we're going to be in a lot of these seven, eight, nine playoff type races for a couple of years until this thing gets built up. Um, there needs to be that realistic expectation put out there. That also probably means that Josh Wolf has a longer leash than we really want him to. Um, it's. Uh, I'm 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 going to push back on you. I mean, I, I think I publicly pushed back on you on Slack a little bit yeah. on this, Brad. But getting to the point of Jim Curtin didn't really start succeeding until he had a general manager that aligned with his vision. Ernie Stewart would play would like Jim Curtin has openly said it that Ernie Stewart uh, Ernie Stewart prevented him from setting the lineups that he wanted to set, and then when he got Ernst Tanner in there, that he was able to actually be a full manager. Where like Jim Curtin felt like Ernie Stewart held him back. Josh Wolf was being held back by no one. And honestly, I we honestly need Roto to almost handhold Josh at this point. So instead of being Jim Curtin being in this one percent of he was being held back by the general manager. Josh Wolf is in sort of the opposite of like he's not in this one percent, but maybe Roto is in this one percent and needs to guide him towards this point. If that's going to be the case, I don't know how this is going to end up, but like it's intriguing. And it, but the story is not quite Philly. Nothing would make me anywhere than Roto this. pulling a Greg Popovich. Yes, except I don't. Yeah, I mean, hire himself. Of, yes. Fire the coach. Go on a search. Hire yourself. 
but, that but then how are we going to tank and get a Tim Duncan at the top of the draft? <laughs> <laughs> we already have the modern-day Breck Shea on our roster. I don't know what you're talking about. We're not worried about this. And if you don't recognize that reference, by the way, C.J. Fodry coming out of the draft was uh, comparably our cop with Breck Shea. Uh, Dane Breckenshay, the pride of College Station, Texas. Oh, it's going to be great. He's actually from Bryan, but, you know, we're not going to nitpick here. Eh, Wait 13 years right. until Fodre plays defense on the road one night. It'll be great. So, shit. Uh, all he has to do is follow in Owen's footsteps. <laughs> um, okay, so, but Owen didn't look bad back there. Like, he, he in the role that he had him playing uh, in the match, what was it, the 3-0 match that we won against D.C., now DC's bad, but Owen wasn't bad in that role. Like it kind of worked, and it opened I mean, up the ability to put our better midfield out there together, which I don't think includes Owen most nights. Agreed. You know one of the reasons why it worked is that the system leaves the fullbacks one on one against the other team's wingers a lot, and DC was playing a defensive <laughs> midfielder at wing that night. And Owen was able to just kind of do whatever he wanted when he had the ball one-on-one, which made it look really good. Um, We were very fortunate that DC was never able to exploit the size and physicality advantage on the back post um, whenever Owen or uh, Gallagher were back there. But, I mean, you're not recognizing that Owen Wolf stopped Liverpool legend Christian Benteke? (laughs) It's true. Yeah, I brought a, a friend from out of town who is a huge Liverpool fan, and he maybe had a little too much to drink, but he spent the entire game just screaming at Christian Benteke. He had a great time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, at least there was that going for us. But I guess I'm going to bundle like three questions into one here and just sort of toss it out for whoever wants to answer. 81 days without a win. There are a bunch of problems that we can all all kind of see on the field. It's not like we're, you know, smacking in five goals and we just sort of happen to get unlucky and losing games. Why Josh Wolf? Don't we have some other like stand in we can put here that doesn't have all of his sort of negative baggage off the get go? Does anyone have an answer for this? I'll try. Um, It is a. We're making Roto wants to get to a point here, and Precourt wants to get to a point. They believe he is the right guy, and they're going to give him every. We're going to run through every last excuse in the book to claim it wasn't him. But I mean, fucking why? I, I I can't give you a why. White privilege? I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, that's most coaches. <laughs> like it is a point here of. Like, does I don't think there's like some like tape of like pre court cheating on someone that Josh Wolf has. I don't think it's like a blackmail sabotage. I think that he like has this vision that they can get to this point of like Josh is the guy, he is going to be the next US national team coach. I have a vision from God. I don't know. Like, I've lost track of this. At this like, point. there's a fucking Kairos in the sky and the clouds before we go into every game that only pre-court can see? You Some know sort what? Of shit like that? 
I mean, I don't think it's quite that level, but like it is, I have run out of lot. I am a logical, reasonable person. I have run out of logical, reasonable things to defend him with at this point. If we look at the injuries we had this year, yeah, we had some injuries. But, like, last year, we got extraordinarily lucky to have almost no injuries. We had the perfect set of conditions, and we looked like garbage with the exception of one half against Salt Lake in September where Jita had a hat trick and one half against Dallas in the playoffs and got really lucky to win a match with a, uh, a man advantage and a penalty kick. Um, we did, have not looked good as a team on a consistent basis. We had one good week this season where we won Copa Tejas winning 6-0 over a week, which honestly, yeah. like a against lot of us were ready. What's that? Against undermanned teams. Against undermanned, really an undermanned Dallas team, a slightly undermanned Houston team. But, like, it gets to the point of Josh did the absolute minimum. But, like, in my mind, like, I don't think he did the minimum. 81 days is not acceptable. I mean, with the exception of an offseason, no team should ever go 81 days between wins in this league during the season. That's Seth, are you fucking kidding me? Like, even including the summer, if that happened to Arsenal or Liverpool – People would lose their shit. I mean, Chelsea pretty much fires managers every three months because they don't win a game for 14 days. Yeah, like, but, I don't want to be Chelsea, but that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> no, it, it, it is just, it is a globally baffling standard. And I like this team. I, w- I will continue to support this team. But, like, holy shit, if we come out of the gate faltering the first few games of next year, there needs to be massive wolf out protests in the South End, stopping Murga, stopping other things to send a real message, because this is not acceptable. I mean, Brad, you brought this up a little bit about our kind of like points, but isn't our worst run of the season, which is kind of basically just happened, we talked about 81 days, that's when pretty much everyone was healthy, right? Yeah. Yeah. We were actually pretty healthy the last month, month and a half of the year. Um, you I mean, know, Zan's been out for the year, fair enough. So we've never yeah. been, like, fully healthy, but, you know, who is? But we've had Leo back for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, he's not 100%, back. but, but he's, been, he's been available. He's largely been available to play. Uh, Hedges has been in and out, depending on the week. But, yeah, we've been largely healthy. Dreyusi had the one game he couldn't play. and he, I know he's not been playing at 100%, but he has been playing and he has been effective. Zardis has been up and down depending on uh, the last few weeks. He hasn't played a ton, but he's gotten 45 minutes in here, which, by the way, Will Bruin being our arguably best striker for the last two months of the year is wild. Um, is the argument him or Rigoni over the last two months of being our best striker on the team right now? Because – for performance in the last 60, 70 days. Um, I, there's just not an excuse. And I think when you you look at the rest of the league and who is pulling the trigger on coaches, teams that are better than us this year have pulled triggers on coaches. And by the way, it's turned around seasons. Look at Portland. They fired Giovanni Savarisi. This is a man who just a couple of years ago, not even two years ago, had his team hosting an MLS Cup final. He has an MLS Cup championship under his belt. Portland got rid of him this year. Now go look at the standings. And when they got rid of him, well out of the playoffs, right? They're still now where they are. Where are they right now? Seventh they place, are, 
Yeah, they have not clinched yet, but they're close. They haven't clinched, but they were nowhere near the playoffs before they fired. But uh, Brad, I'll give you a counterpoint. Two, the first two teams in the league to fire managers this season were the Chicago Fire and the New York Red Bulls, and both of those teams have a good chance at missing the playoffs. They're they're both right around the Austin point. They're in this forty point margin. Honestly, if this league had real playoffs of at least like top seven of last year, they wouldn't be in the playoff picture. And they fired their managers early in the season, and it didn't really lead to much of a bounce of anywhere. But you're actually bolstering my point because it wasn't so much that the firing would have jumped the season off. It's that a bunch of teams around our capability and point level are firing managers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what makes this guy so different? Is, is the question that, it's the question that you've asked, Devin. And it's the question you have to keep going back to is what makes him so different than all these other coaches and managers out there who have been fired this year, some with much better resumes than Josh Wolf. Uh, Charles, any you know, you're the manager expert here. Like anything you want to add? I think it really just comes down to Anthony Precourt thinks that Wolf's the guy. I don't think it's anything more complicated than that. I don't think it's anything. I think it's very, I think it's very simple. As long as the owner thinks that the coach is the guy and the owner is the only one who can fire fire the coach, he's going to be your coach. Like, I, I don't think it's any deeper than that. Okay. Um, so there's no logic reason. It's just a, you know, feeling thing that uh, T.O. Tony has. Yeah, I mean, it could just be that, like, he, that for whatever reason, T.O. Tony, and, and I don't know because I've never gotten to overhear the two of them talk, maybe Josh is really impressive when he talks to him. I don't know. But, so, oh, good. But, but, but this is where we come into a, a bigger issue that, that Seth and John talked about in terms of, the, the crew fan talking about how eventually he'll screw us over by not allowing us to have catch up in the stadium or whatever. But like ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in sports. And one of the things that we have to worry about as Austin fans is that having the owner with a direct line to the coach and choosing the coach is potentially very, very bad for this very exact reason of you can't have a cohesive front office and you can't have a cohesive plan when two different people are deciding um, what's going to happen on the field. Yeah, isn't this the entire fucking point of having a sporting director? That he's the yes. one who I mean, kind of recommends things yeah. to the owner and says, like, hey, like, this guy kind of sucks at his job. So I'm going to fire him or, like, you know, can I have $20 million to fire him or whatever? I want to make this perfectly clear. Because everybody I've talked to, everything you've ever heard coming out of the media from our players, Josh Wolf is a very prepared coach in the film room. I think that man can talk X's and O's with you pretty well. I think that's where he, he impresses a lot of folks. I don't think he's a good man manager. And there's your issue. Because how's he going to motivate a team? How is he utilizing his roster? It, sometimes, and y'all know I love my college football. Sometimes the best X's and O's guys are not your head coaches. They're your coordinators. Because they don't know how to damn man manage on game day. They don't know how to see the overall big picture. And it he feels like a guy to me that gets so far deep into the weeds that he can't see the big picture, especially on game day. A quality I mean, assistant. This is, a quality yeah, this assistant. is literally like, it's a meme. It's Peter Taylor and Brian Clough. It's fucking Coach Beard and Ted Lasso, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, going back to college football here, do we think Dion is the best X's and O's guy in the Pac-12 right now? No one's going to claim that. 
But you know what? Are is are his players ready to run through a brick wall for him? You betcha. Well, I'll tell you what, Seth, looking at that LAFC game on uh, Saturday, the only person who looked like he even gave a fuck, even the slightest of fucks, that we were about to get knocked out of the playoffs was Alex Ring. And yeah. that's not exactly yeah. his favorite player. The amount of – and I, I don't want to use – I hate saying lazy because they're professional athletes – but that team did not look like they really wanted to be there Saturday night. No. And that was the final home game of the year, your last stand. If you can't get a team up for that, you can't be the manager of the team anymore. Even if you go lose, show me that you're playing balls out, and I can live with losing. But nothing about what we saw on the field Saturday night looked like we were playing all out, balls to the wall, throw everything forward, throw the kitchen sink at LAFC, like nothing, nothing showed that. We haven't seen that team since the Dallas and Houston games in June. That was, those were the only two games where I thought like, oh, wow, we played to our full potential. Yeah, we beat DC 3-0 last week. But like the Dallas and Houston games were like, okay, like we actually like did something here. Yeah, we even beat Minnesota, I think 4-1 in the game that I'm pretty sure we lost on XG. Like, you get to a point, obviously, LHG is a perfect. Yeah. But, like, we get to a world where it's like, this team didn't look impressive most of this season and didn't deserve to make the playoffs. And usually if you don't deserve to make the playoffs with that type of forwards, the coach gets sacked. Coach didn't get sacked. We get some new scouts. We'll get some new players. Let's hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Can I spin this into a – Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's part of what – Burrell was trying to talk about in the sense of like, I think he's overhauling the front office in a way that also getting rid of Josh and the coaching staff would make it seem like he hit that he hit a complete reset button on the club. And it seemed like he wanted to maintain some continuity of that. I, I also agree that Wolf's biggest problems are managing a locker room and motivation. And we've seen this in the videos that even the club releases you'll hear his pregame speech and you'll hear uh, Davey Arnaud's pregame speech. And I know which one I would want to run through a wall for, and it's not Wolf. Yeah. And that, that was always more puzzling thing about why Arno doesn't get it. Wouldn't have gotten a shot to, to run things because I feel as though he does a much better job of balancing the tactical and um, the man management. And I'm kind of, I, I think of Austin's, record was better this year he would get mentioned for some of the open mls jobs so so in retrospect i I know i'm not the host here devin but i'll ask you guys what what when um charles brad when should have wolf been fired in this season i mean for me it was after the open cup exit yeah i agree with that if you didn't fire him by the end of the league's cup you might as well hang on to him for me but i'm with brad as soon as open cup was done it was time to let him go Charles, I, I would have I would have fired him after League's Cup because I think that's the best combination of getting a chance to reset the season and also still having enough time left to um, to still make a playoff run. Yeah, I mean, I guess because I mean, even if you're looking through like the earlier results, like yeah, there's a couple losses. Like I mean, really, if you really want to look at just based on purely results, the time to fire him would have been in April. But the you time know, of the fire May, would have been three... after losing to Violette if we're like, no at halftime at fucking Violette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And so even if you look at like May, they won three or they won four matches in May, you know, they got a couple wins in June. Like, I, I think really like if you're looking at giving a new coach some time, uh, which I think is important, it would have been after Leeds Cup. Or honestly, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm traumatized because I was there. But like, <laughs> uh, being in St. Louis after giving up six goals, the idea that any coach could get back on a plane after that is just... And yeah. being your first game after a three-week layoff? Yeah. Because yeah. like you had the, the fifth-place excuse, semi-fair. We've debated that at nauseum. But, like, it is uh, – like, I have to look at that to be like, no, just give me a break. You're you're missing the biggest sin there. I had just gotten back from basically spending the entire weekend on the road going to Central Florida and coming back. That was the first game my brand-new baby puppy had to see Ugh. for Austin FC. So are, are, are we saying that your baby puppy is part of an Austin FC curse now? Uh, no. Okay. Don't put that on her. No, she's been to FSCO games, all right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, no. Uh, oh, which FSCO games? <laughs> no, no, she hasn't actually been to an FSCO game Phil has, but uh, I think we're 2-0 and in games Phil went to. Good. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 we, lost to, we lost to Colorado for one of them. He's 1-1. One one. We're talking about inspirational managers. Arguably the most inspirational manager we have at the club right now is Brett Utley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you actually like listen to him speak and you listen to how that team responds to him and how he looks at and how he gets players on and utilizes his sub windows. Holy shit. What a concept. Yeah, it, t- it took him over 80 minutes to sub on Sunday up in, De- up in Tequila, I should say. No, Brett Utley is somebody that the club should not let leave. He he needs to stay in the coaching staff for as long as they can possibly keep him because he is a future MLS coach and he's going to be a good future MLS coach. So can I propose something here? I don't, um, I don't see why not. Tio Tony once either visited or went on study abroad to Barcelona and liked Kreifball and thought it was cool and fun. And Josh Wolf just sort of sounded like he knew what the fuck he was talking about in relation to that. And that's why he still has a job and was hired in the first place. I'm also going know. to assume this happened at hedonism. Mm? <laughs> <laughs> in my, I, in my like, I literally can't make sense world. of this. In my own little <laughs> alternate fantasy world, that's what happened. I guess the other side of this for me is, um, let's say Roto has some leeway on whether to hire Firewolf. And I kind of agree with, um, Landon's take on Moontown that maybe Roto has power, but only like by April of next year or something. But is Roto maybe keeping him around as like a CYA because he knows how big of a rebuilding project this is? Like, oh, well, this was all shit. I was in the middle of rebuilding and Josh Wolf just kept fucking it up. There's a part of me that wonders if Roto might not be waiting out the European season. Maybe he has somebody in mind. Yeah, that was my thought. But I mean, I don't know. Okay, can we um, can we briefly you guys want to do some more? Actually, before we do Go that, ahead. can I interrupt? Can we talk about how much of an emphasis he was putting on the summer and uh, yes, and yes, we can in the summer. <laughs> and can we talk briefly about how uh, giving up on half the fucking season to make moves in the summer is fucking dumb? Yeah, so, you, you know, you know, okay. there were two teams that made a ton of moves this summer. Inner Miami, and obviously their moves are legendary. In the LA Galaxy, you know what? Neither of them are going to be in the MLS playoffs this year. 
Yeah, but you know, Inter also won a trophy out of it. Yes, they. they I mean, they they do make they do get to be in the round of sixteen of the Concacaf Champions Cup. We do recognize that they were playing. That, but like the question is now that it's no longer the Messi Cubs to North America tournament. What's the point of League's Cup? Bueller. I mean, Bueller. I, I, I mean, the point of League's Cup is is the same as it's always been, which is cash grab. Yeah. Um, so, but okay, if so no one else so, is, yeah. If, but if okay, if you don't so, have the draw of Messi, what's the cash grab? What cash is there to grab? We're talking about Concacaf. I don't know if they've yeah, gone that far. There's more games, always more cash. Well, and yeah, League Cup's going to butt up against Copa America next year, isn't it? So I think it's going to be right after Copa America, the Euros. Oh. Okay. Oh. Seth, sorry to interrupt. When does the MLS summer transfer window end? Uh, they have not announced dates yet for 20, but usually it's early August. See, because I'm looking at this now, and so it's like, you basically play two-thirds of your games before that ends. And yes. this idea that, like, oh, we're just going to bring in, like, the European guy or blah, 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 because that's when their transfer window is. And it's like, well, that's great, but you're always you're always going to be 20-some-odd games behind of making your roster. And even then, is Wolf your guy to do that when he's been reluctant at best to bring so, to play the summer transfer, transfer guys? And also, it's not like we can't bring in players from Europe. We brought in Ruben. We brought in Leo over an offseason. Yes, the Scandinavian season's more run closer to the MLS season. But it's like it's not like English teams don't buy players in January. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah, I, I see this differently. I see this as this winter window. Obviously, there's a lot of contracts that we're probably going to decline options on. I think we're going to open up a ton of space. This winter window is going to be focused on a bunch of internal MLS moves and then two or three, maybe four European-type moves that we can get them on TAM deals. I, I understand he said there's no TAM available. I think that's based on today's roster and not what's necessarily going to be based on af- what's available after we decline certain contracts, right? The TAM number is going to change here pretty quickly. Um, I don't think we're going to fill that third DP spot immediately. That's what I think we hold open until the summertime. And I think that's where Roto was really going after. Um, my gut tells me that someone like a Ragoni might be playing for his position on this squad in the first half of next year. And if it's we not there, rid of him. he's unsellable. I mean, he's still got some value down, down in Brazil. Hey, hey, Saudi Arabia, he? I hear that there's yeah. this guy that. <laughs> yeah. There, there's there's places that he has value. Um, and how much of that would we be willing to eat? Because he only has, what, one more year on the contract? It's yeah. not much more. So it's possible we'd be willing to eat that to open up the third DP spot again. And do we also go to a full three DPs and get rid of one of the U22 initiative guys with Redis out? I think we should. I think we're a better team if we do that. Um my my argument is always use the DP slots as maximally as you can uh, on the the main DP spots, not the U22s. So uh, there's going to be movement in the fall, or in the winter, rather. The big, big name I don't think is going to come until, or the big money signing isn't going to come until the summer. Do you think we're getting a big money signing? Because I didn't get that impression at all. I think in the summer we're going to get one. 
I do. I, I think if you look at who we have still on contract and what's available right now, too, everybody's well, everybody's saying, oh, we got to get better on defense, which we do. To me, we got to get faster, a little faster on defense. But we have three MLS caliber center backs on contract next year in Cascante, Vicenin, and Hedges. So I don't know what more you're going to do there. Maybe one more depth piece, but who is that? And how much money you're really going to spend on it when you're already spending close to $2 million on those three guys. Um, where's the, where are you really looking to upgrade? It's going to be at striker position is to me, the most glaring upgrade we can make. And then we have some upgrades that need to be made on the wings. So I think that's what we're going to be focused on here in the off season. I think so a I big money move like is more likely to happen with Burrell running things because of his connections. Yeah, I do too. And that's why I think it's going to happen in the summer. I think people are going to be waiting for this European season to end out and the summer is an option for that to happen. Yeah, and, and it's a question of like, okay, obviously Giassi Zardes was not the right answer at the number nine spot. I, I hope that there is some young talent out there who is the right answer at that number nine spot because like we cannot run into the start of next season. I hope at minimum we can find someone either domestically or from South America or someone else who is in their 20s, who is a young upstart striker who has a more proven record than Jite did coming over here, who we can at least sign into that role at a decent price and that we don't have to run out a 30-plus striker line. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have two open striker spots next year. Yeah. Maxi and Bruin are very much both likely out of here. Um so, because I mean, you got to remember, Bruin was on trial even to get on the roster in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you, Kim. Is there somebody on the second team that's ready to step up and maybe take that third spot? But we need to go find a younger striker that can challenge Zardes to be the number one and push Zardes to be the number one. Well, I guess, you know, Josh is still around. It seems like Zardes was kind of his handpicked striker choice. Why do we think we're going to sign a striker? We're going to have to. We only have one on the roster after this year. Well, no, but I mean like a, a big money striker. Doesn't have Well, that's what I think Seth and I are saying, though. It doesn't have to be a big money striker in the, in the winter. You can go get a TAM deal striker. A or not even guy. a TAM deal striker. Someone at a – you could yeah. find someone um, at a – from South America and probably pay them a half million dollars a year. It'd be a decent, like the Valencia equivalent of a striker. Okay. Um, I get on board with that. Can I redirect us for a second? Of course. You're the host. Um, Charles, is us winning Copa Tejas while losing to the worst team in the Western Conference the funniest thing to happen this year? I don't I don't know funniest is the way I would describe it, but it's definitely something that like seems very par for the course for Austin in the sense of like something good happening that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that we did at the time. Yes. <laughs> um, it's also the best outcome for Copa Tejas, which is um, because of MLS unbalanced scheduling, a complete shit show this year in terms <laughs> of how it got decided. And I think every fan base legitimately could argue that they are actually the best team or should have won it. Or, or or at least have, like, the best season, which, in the sense that this is just, like, the college football playoff bowl system, everybody can argue it, which is the best outcome for Copa Tejas. 
yeah, I don't know. I got I got a pretty big kick out of that, and I'm trying to find like little positives in the past few months. I mean, here's the thing: like, one of the best moments in Austin FC history happened this season. We got to watch Rodney Redes score a game-winning goal at Q2 in the first Open Cup game Austin ever won. Like, that is a memory I will hold with me forever. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that's the only. No, I guess we did beat Violet at home. I was going to say it's the only cup game we've ever won, but the only cup tie we've ever won. Correct. Well, I mean, we did win two rounds of MLS playoffs last year. Eh. I don't know. I, I feel like that's different than a cup. I guess it isn't, but. It's not really. It's I don't know. Like, it's a weird it's MLS a, thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fair. I, I it's nitpicking, but that's what we do here. Yeah. To answer the question, the original question, it's the most hilarious thing that's happened in a long time to me. Okay. Yeah, winning the cup, uh, winning Copa Teos, because objectively, Austin has no business winning that cup this year. Um, just from a who's the best on the field standpoint. However, also objectively, fuck Dallas, fuck Frisco, and it's funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. Watching, no, no, no. That's the best part. So many people on their fan bases, especially the Dallas fan base online, complain and at the same time saying we don't care about this is a level of schadenfreude that i just it made me full for a day and it was great yeah the six like perpetually online fc dallas fans complaining about it were great it was i i enjoyed that way too much good that's what the trophy's about uh shit talking and not deserving things i guess so wait 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 funnier outcome the way Copa Tejas went down, or the Toyota sign completely blowing away in Dallas the other way. I mean, that, that was so – that guy got hurt. Okay. Um, but he's, but he's okay. He's, he's fine. fine. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this sign coming down completely. <laughs> he posted no, this minor bruise on Twitter fine. later. He's fine. Yes. It's, no, the Toyota sign is objectively funny. Yes. Yes. <laughs> No, obviously, the, suffering from joy does not wish that people physically suffer from no. their elements. We just wish that they mentally suffer. It's still the most surreal moment of the season for me that happened in Frisco of any point of the season, not just for Austin, but throughout MLS, is watching Messi take PKs in front of a neon bull in Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 there's nothing about that that's ever going to leave my mind. That it, it's just fucking hilarious. Capitalism always wins, Lionel. Uh, I will. I will <laughs> say this: the I think the funniest thing in MLS right now is that DC United is both above the playoff line and eliminated from the playoff. Yeah, and eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think it's Chicago, Chicago and New York City play on decision yeah. day. Yeah, that's right. And no matter what, the result of that is somebody finishes above them and knocks them out. And it's just a Listen. perfect encapsulation of like MLS. And the perfect encapsulation of MLS without Googling, what stadium is that match taking place at? Wait, who's playing? Chicago and NYCFC. Where are they is playing? Is it happening at City Field or Red Bull Arena? Okay. 
But it is just like, what a utter. Uh, also, to add the hilariousness, I was at the Inter Miami Chicago Fire messy list game that broke the MLS all time revenue record for a single game. The Fire earned over $10 million in ticket sales on a game that Messi did not even play in, which was more than they earned in their ticket sales from their first nine games of the season. Didn't well, even travel to salary for the year, right? What's that? It covers Shakiri's yeah. underperforming salary of the year, right? right? It does. And Shakiri had a brace. Alpine Messi showed up. <laughs> I mean, oh, I thought what Chicago did from a ticketing standpoint was brilliant, by the way. Oh, no. They're, they, have a, they, have a new ticketing. Yeah. they have a new ticketing executive up here. They're really trying to um, – sell a bunch of tickets and that by giving people a $50 credit towards a single game or $250 credit towards season tickets, but you can't use them for the cheapest tickets, which was smart of them um, that they are selling a lot more tickets and there's, it's going to be very easy to get resale tickets to fire games next year, but good for them. They won't have attendance officially of 10,000. They will have um, Austin FC sellouts of 20,000 plus in almost every game. Smart hit. Speaking of tickets, Brad, I recall you being a little upset about the, uh, let's call them 15% ticket increases. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the Roto, it's probably going to suck for the next at least year plus. How, do you have any additional thoughts on that? If this team raises prices by more than a percent next year, and they're not performing on the field again, there needs to be a revolt. Like, and I will be canceling my tickets at that point. Um, we're already at the brink of kind of what I'm willing to pay for a season ticket. Uh, I think pre-court can go out there and try to point to, hey, this factor, this factor, we're actually bringing in a Roto Bonovit, our Roto, whatever. Fine. I don't care. It's all about performance in the field now. And I know folks are saying, well, boycott merchandise and boycott food and whatever. Yeah, you can do that. But if people are still putting asses in the seats, that makes a difference. Um, I will, the last few matches, I mean, God, the, the, the DC match, I could not give my extra ticket away. And then finally a buddy of mine, not even 24 hours before kickoff said, Hey man, I'm actually going to be in town for a night. What are you doing? I'm here with some work stuff. It's like, well, I, I'm, I was doing something. I was working the floor that night. If you want my two tickets, take them. I gave him my two at the last minute. And then was able to buy my way back in a supporter ticket so I could work behind the goal for Los Verdes for 10 bucks. Like $10. People were offering $10, $15 in our Slack and no one was taking tickets. Nope. It was, it's brutal. And we're starting to get to a point where a season ticket, as they love to call it, membership is not fucking worth it for Austin FC. Yeah. By the way, your membership and your uh, Verde uh, discount doesn't fucking work on anything. Yeah, it, it's it's really becoming to a point where it, it's not worth it. And you just, if you want to go game by game, even I looked at the other night, I sold my LFC. I didn't go to the LAFC game. I sold my tickets a couple of weeks ago for roughly my face value. Um, and I was happy to stay home and didn't want to go to the last game of the year. And I went back online because the weather was super nice Saturday. It's like, hey, man, maybe we'll go sit out there and see what's going on. I could have gotten in for 25 bucks. Yeah, I could, I could have walked in the stadium for less than what my season ticket is easily and had a better seat than my season ticket. Like it, We are quickly getting to a point 
where it does not make financial sense to have season tickets for Austin FC. Yep. Totally agree. I'm just um, glad that my four season tickets are all individually leased out and people have already paid me in full for next year. That's smart. Yeah, I think uh, that, like, I did the math on, like, supporters tickets and ended up being in, like, the low $20 per match because of how many, like, extra matches we got this season. Um, but every match you can get it for 20 bucks, which is the low limit of what SeatGeek allows you to resell at. So that's literally the minimum that you can get into the mat- that match for. Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, I go pretty much every game. I might have just two or three home games this year for various reasons. If I cut that to 10 or 11 games a year, but I have MLS season pass, like, that's fine. I'm going to save money at the end of the day. I'm still going to support my team. Go to the Wednesday night matches, especially, and you can catch a real deal uh, when there's tends to be a little less interest, right? It, it, they've got to figure that part out on the pricing. I know they're saying, well, until as long as the wait list is there, we're going to do it. I understand the metrics and the math behind that, but. I'll be out real quick and I'm going to start just doing what I do for any other sporting event, which is secondary market. Well, they're not even doing small stuff, right? Like season ticket holder gift costs practically no money. Have a sponsor give whatever. Bang. Easy. Don't do it. Um, give season Re- ticket holders incentives to go out to Epicito. Right. I mean, they, they, to their credit, they actually did that for that Colorado match where they had like free drinks beforehand and tickets. Like, I think they're slowly starting to get that. But like, I honestly don't even understand what the point of Austin FC season ticket reps are at this point. If season tickets are sold out, like, I understand what you're trying to sell season tickets. What your point of a season ticket rep is, but like, it's not clear to me what these people actually do right now. They intercept complaining emails. Yeah. Yeah. So they, you should just have a larger customer service team. Well, I mean, that's essentially what they are. Yeah. Um, are we expecting to get free MLS season pass again next year, yes. Seth? Um, okay. Yes, we are. Um, well, the Chicago Fire have told me, as as the absolute sicko who is a season ticket holder to two MLS teams, uh, I do not recommend this. But um, that there's a um, that the Fire have already guaranteed me um, season ticket, uh, which got season pass and free away tickets um, for any yeah. Fire game I want to go to. Which so it sounds like that we are coming to see you next year. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, and what I can do because Soldier Field is so large that I could go. So I upgraded my fire season tickets from one to two season tickets this year because it was only one hundred eighty dollars more, and they tossed in free parking. And parking is usually forty dollars a game at Soldier Field. And park. And if I, I know Devin's been to Soldier Field. I don't know Charles or Brad if you've been to Soldier Field before. I've been to a football game many years ago at, at Soldier in 2006. I saw Rex Grossman light up the Seattle Seahawks on oh, his way to a Super Bowl. On his way to a Super Bowl <laughs> on a Sunday night. On a Sunday night. Wow. It happened to be the final day of the Cubs season, so I caught the afternoon game at the Cubs Rockies when both teams had won like sixty-five games, and then saw the Bears beat the shit out of the Seahawks. Same day. That sounds what like a, what a day of sports. Yeah. Uh, oh. uh, no, I've never been to Soldier Field, but if Austin plays there next season, I am a million percent going. Yeah, no, it is. It, what's nice is that because I have tickets there. There's always, unless they're playing in Miami, there's always seats available at Soldier Field that I can go exchange tickets. So, like, I will have, what, two tickets to every game there, and if Austin plays, I will just, like, give away ten tickets or something. Like, it will be really easy to just, like, hey, people who can't afford or are trying to 
cut down on costs. Like, oh, I'll just give out some tickets. And when you have a huge stadium, you can do things like that. Nice. But it's MLS, so like expect that game to either not happen or be in Austin after Open Cup because MLS scheduling makes no sense. Yeah, it'll be at like noon in the middle of July or something. I mean, hey, if it's at noon, it's actually in, great for Chicago. I'd be fine. Yeah, like, that's yeah. not an issue. And, and <laughs> I mean, the away seats, are, the away seats are always in the shade, anyways. Uh, on the west, like that's not that's not an issue. Oh, I meant noon here. I mean, oh God, like that. that, that <laughs> Shouldn't we like 100% have an away match to Columbus next year? So, like, so what I'm really hoping for is um, should I'm is a very for... strong word with MLS. I know, um, I know. We should. Um, I will say, um, so I facilitated a very interesting email chain yesterday. So, as our boys at Austin FC, as we made some reference to, there has have made the Western Conference Finals. First of all, congratulations. They've been really fun to watch both of these i mean it's kind of weird doing a road playoff run but like it's been great to see them pull two clean sheets damian Lass will probably be an mls starting goalie somewhere next season i don't think it will be in austin but would love to keep him for as long as possible um so i decided to well, obviously we're um, if anyone wants to listen to this podcast who has doesn't know we're sending about 20 people to colorado on sunday night i was hoping to go but I have Texas A&M at Tennessee tickets on Saturday in Knoxville and getting from Knoxville to Denver on a few days notice is very, very expensive and does not make sense. Um, But I won't be there, but we're going to have about 20 people there. And if we win that match, we would either go to Columbus or to New England for the finals. And I emailed the crew front office and I've talked to three different people in the crew front office and they've actually been remarkably courteous, professional and easy to work with. Um, and that I hope we send 100-plus people to Columbus um, next week for an MLS Cup, MLS Next Pro Cup final because that would be hilarious, and it would actually be pretty intense. And if you have the ability, if this happens, and you have the ability to get to Columbus, Ohio um, 12 days from now, I highly recommend going because it's going to be an absolute blast. Can you, on our behalf, negotiate our own segregated condiment stand? <laughs> 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 like I'll pitch in, I'll help. I just I just want to make sure. If I, I feel like that will I have taken a picture with mustard at lower.com field on my other trip there last year for the USL Salvador game. But um I will make sure that we are um mustard and ketchuply taken care of it by our good friends in Central Ohio. It has been my dream to take a pre-court cutout to Columbus the first time Austin plays there. If it were for an FC two match, that would be amazing. I'm Pollo is traveling to Denver um, this week, and I'm sure Pollo and a pre-court cutout and all sorts of other things can be on their way if that happens. Yes, but the thing Good. is, Crew Two. But the thing is, you know where Crew Two plays. No, so Crew Two. I, I yeah. that was one of the things I asked um, our friend Jared at the Columbus Crew, and because it is a next pro final last year, the Columbus Crew are Columbus Crew Two, um, who winners of the heck is probable derby. Um, Great but there's um they did play the final against St. Louis City where they beat Roman Berkey and St. Louis City two last year. It was at oh, I forgot Berkey played in that game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, that they had a goalie that they were paying one point eight million dollars a year to play at MLS Next Pro. Like amazing yep. on so many levels. Uh, but yes, that was at lower.com field. And the final would be at lower.com field, not at the historic Dosa Zero um, 
crew stadium. And if we are up, goes up there your on fire. Damn it. <laughs> yes. But I mean, so like at least there's like bars within walking distance of lower.com field rather than the desolate Ohio fairgrounds around that. No, place. oh my god. I went to the uh one US Mexico game where they didn't win Dos Acero there, and it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like it's in the city and still in the middle of nowhere. Yes, absolutely correct. As you so can see, like is off I-71. Is it essentially basically the uh, Travis County Fairgrounds? No, no. it's much closer to the city center. It would be like, imagine somehow you have a field where the Chili's at 45th and Lamar is. <laughs> but it's still like two miles walking to anything. The yes. most icon- That would be the most iconic field in Austin. It would. Yes. Or maybe like um, like maybe take like Camp Mayberry or something like that. Like that would be like the equivalent of that, except inside of a, instead of being inside a military base, there's a random bleacher filled soccer stadium surrounded by parking lots and horse barns. Oh, that's amazing. It's it's an experience that I don't recommend for anyone. Correct. Uh do you guys want to do something new today? Sure. Sure. So we haven't done an episode in a while. So we're gonna do our moments of suffering, don't worry. But first I wanted to see if anyone uh had moments of joy they wanted to share since our last episode uh after the fc frisco game charles you want to lead us off uh i mean i gotta be in the same stadium and watch rain rooney unfortunately it wasn't him scoring goals for united but it was still great i still had a lot of joy from it okay that's pretty good uh brad um i'm actually gonna go off the radar and outside of the stadium here um we had and you were there for a little while, Devin. Uh, we had an event for a charity that my wife and I deal work with uh, for Kiari Malformation, and Brad Stuber was over there, and there was a a um, cornhole tournament. And at the end of the cornhole tournament, the winners got to play Brad and his dad in a final, like grand champion type match. Brad and his dad win, and then he didn't have to throw the last one. He kind of basketball shoots the last shot and just completely pull up jumper. Yeah. Just called called game without having to call game, and nothing but net. It was crazy. Yeah, it was solid. I won a tailgating table that I have no idea what the fuck I'm going to do with her. Yeah. Um, also, still a little mad at you for having KU cornhole boards, but um, we'll settle that uh, with fisticuffs a different time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Seth, how about you? Uh, I'll, I'll go with a non-football moment, then a football moment. So the non-football moment is we partnered up with our friends at the New England Revolution um, for a nice, successful away day there. We just donated a couple hundred dollars to the Flatwater Foundation, a local cancer charity. They had a one of their supporters passed away of childhood cancer, and we did a really nice event with them. And sadly, I wasn't able to be up in the parking lots of Foxborough for that, but maybe we'll be there for the FCTO final if it's not in Columbus, if we obviously win in Colorado this weekend. Uh, but I will say my moment of joy does also come from FC Toe from last weekend, where they went to your favorite place on earth, Devin, Lawrence, Kansas, where Bet US. Um, we found love in a hopeless place. Go ahead. <laughs> um, but uh, Betty Fall, however, in this amazing MLS Next Pro pick your opponent format said, uh, scared money don't make money or something to that effect. Um, and that we managed to beat them 2-0. And after scoring a second goal on a penalty kick, the entire team went over and was doing the money dance and was just like doing the dollar bill dance in front of the fan, the Lawrence, Kansas faithful for Sporting KC2. And it was an actual moment of joy around this club, and it was beautiful to see. 
Yeah, it was fantastic to watch. Um, they're like generally, you know, 17 to 22 year old highly tuned professional athletes. And they look like a bunch of dumb 14 year olds who are just learning how to dance at a mixer. Um, it was fantastic. So if you guys can find video on that, I highly recommend it. Um, it's very uncoordinated and quite hilarious. Um, I'm going to go a little weird on this one, and I'm going to go ahead and say 5.17 p.m. on Sunday when they told us Wolf is sticking around and, hey, we're going to have some media availability. It was nice that they didn't kind of leave us hanging and wondering and spending two months figuring out if Josh is getting fired or anything. Um, I had a great Sunday. Arsenal beat Man City for the first time in the league since 2015. Um, and so there was just sort of a nice little like, okay, here's a button on the Austin FC season. I don't have to worry about you guys for a few months. Like I'll keep up with off season stuff, but it was a nice little bit of, you know, not exactly like super welcome. I would have liked a different outcome, but, um, a bit of like, okay, closure here. We're done. Um, here's a nice neat bow on it. So, uh, trying to turn a negative into a positive here. I'm going to pose a question to everybody real quick. Okay. How much of the game on the 21st are you actually watching? Zero minutes, zero seconds. Live, uh, live, probably the same answer, but I'll probably watch it at some point. I will probably have it on, like, multi-screen live. Okay. What, 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 oh, we have to ask, what time does Mizzou play that day? Yeah. I'm like, I'm sitting here going, oh, what time, is, what's the college football schedule that day? There's a lot of things. No, 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 the game, the game is on a Sunday, isn't it? No, it's Saturday. Uh, oh, Saturday. fuck me. I don't know that. No, no. Um, no but it, Mizzou plays South Carolina at 2.30 is what the Google said. Okay. Um, that'll be on the TV. I can always pull, you know, like the Austin FC game up on the laptop or something. No, 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 no. But like Austin plays at 8 and Mizzou plays oh, at yeah. 8. will be fine. I don't know. Might turn it off at halftime and go to bed. Who knows? <laughs> um, Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. That day too, though. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I, I gotta admit, I'm probably not Duke, Florida State. Yeah, I, I'm gonna be college football out. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, maybe ask me closer, uh, closer to the actual game. I thought that was on a Sunday for some reason. Okay. Um. All right, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, Seth, you want to kick us off your moment of suffering from the past? Call it two months. Oh gosh. Um. Since I was, I have already admitted on this podcast, I was not awake for the LAF, LA Galaxy choke. Um, I'd have to say Will Bruin missing an absolute sitter in Colorado. That I feel like if if we scored that, we'd probably get at least one, if not three points out of that match. And we're still talking about hope and whatever other things. So, like, that was completely inexcusable. Even if you're Will Bruin and you were concussed a month ago, you got to finish that. Wando-esque. Yes. At, at least far lower consequences. Yeah, obviously. Um, Charles, you want to go next? Sure. I think, um, I think when it was actually in the LAFC match, there was a, a moment where Dennis Wonga dribbled through like four players, like they weren't there and then got a shot that Stuver made a really good save on. And Stuver and him kind of had a, had a moment of kind of congratulating each other, acknowledging each other. And it's just another reminder that like Brad Stuver does so much and still gets maligned and wasn't even nominated for best keeper in MLS when there were 23 nominees. Um, and it just, it, it, I just, 
at some point, I just want him to have a competent defense in front of him. Uh, that's really all I want for him. Was it the uh, short side kick saving a beauty? Yes, it was that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, that was a little deflating for me because I was like, oh, you guys like just don't like, I get you're being a little professional, but like you just don't give a shit. Like, yeah, you guys yeah. already know this season's over. Yeah, like that was that was definitely one of those moments where it's just like, can we just end the game now? Like, like we can just call it, right? <laughs> yeah. Like this is a scrimmage at this point. Just tell me, like, send me a note and just tell me I can quit caring. Oh, I, uh, I did. For, I did forget to add the moment of joy of Kalini's uh, own goal at the end of that match, even though it was utterly meaningless. Uh, that that was, that was absolutely fantastic. a moment of joy. Uh, the stadium announcer was like, oh, yeah, Jossi Zardes, and everyone went, no. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a fun time. Um, it was nice to get the LAFC people around us to shut the fuck up for a little bit. Um, so I can't stand fucking being around their fans. But uh, Brad, what do you think? I'm going to go back to August 30th. Because it's been a while since we've done this. Oh. Why that day? We played the Seattle Sounders, and the goal that wasn't a goal that I – yeah, the Galaxy game kind of was the nail in the coffin, but I think this was the one that really began the, holy shit, we're not going to make the playoff slide. Because we get that goal, changes the game completely, and we're either draw or we pick up a win. I think we probably end up picking up a win because Seattle scored in the 90th minute, and as Josh likes to say – goals change games um so if we even if we draw that match which the goal should have counted and we draw that match we're alive this weekend but you win and you're really alive and you got a winner take all against san jose so um that, that's probably my biggest moment of suffering since we got two last on this yeah and i'll put this in the understandably missable call category but jordan morris was offside for the first goal too mm-hmm. yeah uh, the second one, like, no matter what fucking Dweeby says, like, that ball was clearly and obviously over the line. And um, I know at least Seth and I, we may have some other people on, are going to do a refereeing episode. But, uh, like, it's literally a running joke at this point that we want to wait for a weekend where something completely catastrophic doesn't happen. So we're not just talking about the most recent call and it keeps not fucking happening. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the most egregious thing with that is they say they didn't have the angle in the stadium available to them. We saw it on the fucking Jumbotron. Well, no, the Jumbotron showed you the TV angle. After the game, there was a highlight that came across that Austin put out on Twitter, or maybe during the game, from behind the goal, where you could actually see the ball across. And from that angle, people are like, well, there's no – from that – I'm not fucking great at geometry, y'all, but I know that from that angle, if it's all the way across, then it's definitely fucking across. Like, there's no questions at that point. Um, But but I I heard the assistant VAR said it was good, so we should move on. (laughs) Great process, boys. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I go back to exactly what I tweeted out that night, which is you just getting a half a, a half a billion dollar expansion fee from uh, San Diego this year. How about fucking investing in goal line technology at minimum here on the list? And some offside technology. We, we can do both of those. I'm sure you can afford it. Yeah, it's a little weird that um, MLS is kind of like to be at the head of some of these, you know, refereeing innovations, and we don't have either goal line tech or semi-auto offside. Our our stadiums, for the most part, are too nice not to have it. 
You're not yeah. talking about terrible infrastructure here. Like, yeah, like I understand why fucking Luton Town doesn't have it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. But you know what? I really hope I, I will say, as much as our friends at Pig Bowl, as we um, diss on them on every single podcast episode, Howard Webb and crew did come up with a slight innovation this year that is really good that they are now allowed to actually show the clock inside the stadium during stoppage time. And I do fully expect to see that in MLS next year. So let me minorly correct you on this. That used to be something FIFA didn't allow. And yes. FIFA opened it up, and PGMOL actually somehow said yes to it. Yeah, well, because they were like, "We're gonna, we're gonna make the matches go for twenty five minutes longer, so that we don't want people just to be looking at their watches." Yeah, they already gave up on that. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go visit our friends at FCTO on Sunday, September 10th. Um, Austin FC goes to penalties with Minnesota United, and they need to hit one of two penalties to guarantee a home playoff game. And my good friend who I have seen riding a shopping cart in HEB, Valentin Noel, who is a fantastic soccer player, walks up and just bricks this fucking penalty that has no shot of ever going in. And at that moment, like anybody who's been to an FCTO game is like, holy shit, any of these that we do at home are really, really fun. All we wanted was like one home game. And uh, that missed penalty didn't get it, but I mean, he scored the scored the winner uh, on Sunday, so he sent us through to the conference finals. So I guess he made up for it, but um, that was many many sufferings for me. I don't know if any of you actually watched that game, but I did um, watch that game, and apparently we ended up losing like, nine to eight in penalties. Like half of the U.S. men's national team watched that game. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that was up there, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I was I was up there like two days later. I realized it after the game that I think the very next day I was flying up there, and if I had booked my travel differently, I could have gone to the match. What could have been? Um, but all right, uh, anything else you guys want to cover? We're a little over, you know, we didn't cover one match, so we're allowed to go over ninety minutes. But uh, we're running a little hot here, so um, anything you guys want to say about the press conference or about Wolf or Austin FC or? The past season or going forward or anything, uh, speak now. No, I, I'll be honest. I'm looking forward to the offseason. Um, don't get me wrong. I love our club, but it's been a long, long year. The amount of, the amount of uh, stuff that's gone on. Um, I'm very I, tired of this season. Yeah, I, I think a break is good. Um, I think being able to focus on the second team for the next couple of weeks and have some fun with them. And, and y'all know my stance on this, which is, Hey, root for them, have fun. But ultimately it's, you, you care about the first team and the second team is for development. And if they win great, if they don't, hey, I'm still going to have fun with it. Um, and we can refocus on next year. And to me, I'm very interested for when we release the list of, what options we're picking up and what options are declining. Cause that tells me the direction we're heading for next year. That'll be the first real clear evidence of where we're headed. Uh, I can't wait to see Roto's list of all these people that are super interested in joining Austin FC. Uh, he said, it's going to be so, so good. So impressive. Um, I heard it. They also so talked about coaches, not just players in that comment. So we're getting Pep so, and Erwin Holland. Awesome. That's what I hear. We'll see. I mean, pick one. I'll take Holland. Yeah, I would absolutely take Holland. Yeah. 
we can deal with that pep if we have Holland. I think. Um, but I yeah, know. I think uh, somebody. I, I think it'd be better to take somebody like Martinelli or like maybe like Odergaard. Fuck like, off. Be better. <laughs> Here's Saka. Stay away from Gabby. <laughs> we can't sing the "He comes from Sao Paulo and he plays for the Arsenal" song if he plays for Austin FC. So I mean, I think Margaret could do something with that though. Yeah. No, but it'll take it'll take our friends at Burger three and a half years to come up with something. Yeah, that's okay. Then they can have three and a half more, and they'll just be like Josh Wolf. Um. All right, I think that's enough. Um, that's anything that's the else end. you guys want to add? No, that's what we should add. On got the rest. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, on behalf of uh, Seth, Brad, and Charles, uh, thanks for suffering with us. Bonus here for Austin Jarrett Stroud. It's Diego for goodness. He has written his name into Austin folklore. They just won't go away. Oh, he hits the upright again. That's impossible. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. Altidore squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory.